the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In one city after another, you hear about the homelessness crisis. And when you visualize it, do you picture a single man perhaps sleeping on a subway or asking passersby for some spare change? Me too. But what if that isn't an accurate picture? And if it isn't, are policies and programs being directed to where they are most needed? With us tonight to help provide clarity on all of this is the former Speaker of the New York City Council, Christine Quinn, who currently serves as the Chief Executive Officer of WIN, formerly known as Women in Need. Good evening, Christine, and welcome to the Business of Giving. Thank you. So provide us with the full picture of who makes up the homeless population in New York City. And I think what you set out, uh, that vision of a homeless, uh, usually man, disheveled on the street, I think is who New York thinks is homeless. Now, why do they think that? Well, one, because they see those people, right? Mm-hmm. You see them, they're on the street, et cetera. Two, I would say uh, papers like the New York Post had made a decision to uh, pick the scariest pictures of homeless men they could and repeatedly put them on the cover um, to really create an us-them, not to bring people together around homelessness. And that's created an enormous—it's been effective from their perspective. Mm -hmm. Now, 70% of the people in shelter last night, 70% were families with children. That's incredible. So the majority is not singles on the street. And within the singles community, the majority of singles are in shelter, Mm -hmm. not out on the street. So these are important facts. Not because you want to pit one type of homeless person against each other, so to speak, but but if you don't know the facts, then you then there isn't the right media coverage and attention, and then politicians and I say this freely as one who's done this, <laughs> yes. are chasing the headlines. They're trying to make the bad headline go away. In this case, the cover of the New York Post about somebody asking for money, for example, and so they drive all of the policy there. Two, if we don't, like, notwithstanding the President of the United States, facts matter. That is the fact of homelessness. The fact of homelessness is that 70% of the people in shelter last night were families with children. Of that 70%, Christine, how many of those are children? So within the 70%, there are more children than there are seats in Madison Square Garden, to put it into a visual. 25% of the homeless in shelter... 25% are six years of age or younger. The average stay at a wind shelter, we are the largest provider of shelter by far to families, 10%. So you can extrapolate from what what our experience. Mm -hmm. The average length of stay is 15 months, over a year. So 25% are under six. In essence, they're spending over a quarter of their life that they've lived in shelter. That is a traumatic experience for children on a multiple of different levels that presently our system doesn't even focus on dealing with that trauma these children 
are experiencing. And that's one of the reasons why it is far more likely for a homeless child to be a homeless adult Mm -hmm. than a, a child who has never experienced homelessness. But if you said to the average New Yorker, is the face of homelessness a five year old? They would be like, no, I have had people very intelligent, involved New Yorkers, people involved in civic life, who have said, until I talked to you, I didn't know there were homeless children. Now, that's not as ignorant a statement or a kind of a detached, rich person statement as you think. I've heard many people say that to me. Why? You don't see them. Two, they haven't gotten the press coverage they deserve. That's why we call our our clients and families the forgotten face of homelessness. Yeah, yeah. Why else? It's too hard to think about. Mm, yeah, that's right. It's, it's very uncomfortable, very isn't it? Very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I bet there's a lot of people in government who are unaware of that very completely. fact. Mm-hmm. Completely. Completely. Is it growing or not, family homelessness? Uh, so we... at. Last month or so have stabilized, okay. but we're still at an all-time high. But a one-month stabilization is nothing to – it's not st- significant <laughs> yes. yet. And so I also um, believe that we'll see the fall numbers go up in part because people will uh, move out once school starts. You'll mm-hmm. kind of eke it through the, the summer, but then everybody's got to go, go back to school. And – Half or so of our clients come to win. Um, the top reason is through eviction. Mm-hmm. Now, but they don't come usually from where the marshal shows up to win. They go to stay with friends and family. Now, their aunt they are staying with may have her children living with her. So these are doubled and tripled up situations. When that can't last any longer, they come to us. Mm-hmm. The second largest reason why people come to shelter, the very, very close, uh, is domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Now, again, most often they don't come right to shelter, right? It's not exactly like you see on Law and Order, right, when the police <laughs> show up. Um, and and uh, uh, they'll, go, they'll go wherever they think is safe until it's not safe anymore, mm-hmm. and then they'll come to us. How many shelters does Wynn operate, and how many people, families, stayed in your facilities last night? So we had fi- uh, about fifteen to 700 families. We had 5,000 people on average a night, 2,700 of whom are children, mm. which means anyone under 18. We right now open operate excuse me, 11. Mm-hmm. We're building one as we speak in Coney Island, uh, have started the building process in Staten Island and will take over two shelters by the end of the take over two buildings to be shelters by the end of the year in the Park Slope Gowanus area. So we are growing because the crisis is growing. This is tragically a growth industry, yeah. which is a horrible, horrible condemning and indicting statement about the city of New York. So when a woman comes to a wind shelter, how many of them are employed? Uh, about 51 to 52 percent of our moms show up working. It's interesting. We don't call our job training a job training program because our mothers were offended. Sure. Like, we have jobs. We need to build our income. Income we need building. To get, so mm-hmm. we call it income building. A, a, a little thing, but a big thing. Yes. Um, and obviously, having a good paying job is a key indicator related to your success when you exit shelter. Defining success is not not returning, which is the most important and the most uh, uh, fundamental. And just think of it. The top reason people come to shelter is eviction, Mm -hmm. but over half the moms are working. Uh, And that's a statement about the affordability and the income inequality uh, realities of our city. But I really believe 
a part of the reason the crisis has gotten so big is that the city administration, not this one, not anyone, have seen the reality that homelessness and the affordability crisis are two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard a great speech this morning at Cranes from Vicki Bean, who's I think our terrific deputy mayor for economic development and housing. She didn't mention homelessness in her speech because that doesn't fall under her. Yeah. It falls under the deputy mayor for human services. Mm-hmm. There's a big missing link there. Uh, that the city's not looking at the affordable housing plan, first and foremost, through the eyes of ending the homeless crisis. Yeah, well, we got a lot of silos in this world. There's no question right. about it. I had right. somebody on the show And I, it's not Vicky's fault. That's the structure no, the for the structure adding is. tonight, and we need to change it. Yeah, I had somebody on the show recently who was in the, the health arena, mm-hmm, and they said, mm-hmm. you would think in the federal government working in health that we would have a conversation with the agriculture department. Yeah, right. We've never exactly. had a single exactly. one. It's completely separate right. when they should be linked. So when someone steps into a win homeless shelter, what will be distinctive about it let me just say one thing first Mm -hmm. you know homeless family and i assume it's the same for singles can walk into the door of a shelter that's right they first have to go to the intake right all the family intakes are in one place in the bronx that is a grueling dehumanizing process which i firmly uh, uh in the loudest possible terms condemn the city for the way they've run it um, well, you issued a report on that yep. earlier this year um, doing just that. Right. What's the problem? And, well, you know, the problem is the perspective of intake isn't how do we get you to the services you need? How do we address the experience you're having? Intake's job, if you define someone's job by how they do it consistently, is to divert people out the door. Mm-hmm. So if you come in and you, first of all, you need massive paperwork. I don't know that you or I would have the paperwork necessary to, to show. Well, I tell you one thing. I don't have any paperwork of where I live before I'm living now. Exactly. So that's a problem. Yeah. It's a problem. Can you remember like your last 10 residences? You know, all <laughs> you've had. Like where was that first apartment when you graduated from college? No. No. Yeah. Nonetheless, somebody who's fleeing domestic violence, got mm-hmm. evicted, et cetera, et cetera. So by the time they, and I've had people say I'm living with my aunt. They call the aunt and say, you don't love your niece? What are you doing? (laughs) So they come to us after that trauma experience, which we're seeking with the help of Controller Stringer to reform. So when they come to us, the immediate thing that's going to be different, and most people show up in the middle of the night, Mm -hmm. so the intake is done by the security staff. When we do our work, this is not a requirement of the contract, not a citywide standard, but let me say it is the best practice all based on trauma-informed care. So our security staff is trained in trauma intervention and trauma-informed care. So they know not just to see that that mom and her children and maybe a dad as new residents. They see them as people who've been through trauma, who are experiencing trauma. Individuals. Right, and interact with them in that kind of a way. Mm. They give priority to the children. You know, it, it, things like that. So that's different. One, two, what they're going to find, you know, once they've been there the next morning, because it's usually middle of the night, is that there's more because we raise so much private 
not so much, but we need more <laughs> uh, private money. We have an income building program. Mm-hmm. All of the staff are involved in trauma-informed care. If the next day, their first day is a day off a school break, we have an all-day camp on site for the kids. If it's summer, there's a STEAM-based summer camp. So that is something unique and different, the holistic nature of what we call the way to win. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's great. Well, a woman is going to be there on average about 15 months. Yes. What happens during that time? What kind of services do you provide mom and the kids? So first it depends on what the nature of the family You meet them situation. where they're at. We meet exactly. We meet them where they're at with no shame or blame. And everything we do is focused on trauma-informed care and strength-based practices. Mm -hmm. So, look, we could go into the first meeting and be like, you are homeless. (laughs) You failed. Makes you a questionable mom. And here are the 10 things you have to do before to show you you got it together or whatever, and then we'll help you. No. No, no, that's... She, the mom is homeless because of a bunch of factors beyond her control. Two, she's kept her family together without a solid roof over her head or with a batterer. She's super woman. Yeah. But you have to help her access. Creative, resilient, I exactly. mean, un- per- persevering, I mean, amazing. All of the above, which mm-hmm. none of them feel because society has does not value those things if the person does not have a home. So that's critical. Now, some people will have mental illness. Some of it will be episodic because, quite frankly, you're in shelter with your kids. If you're not a little anxious and depressed, you're full-on crazy. So some of it's episodic, but some of it is persistent and Mm -hmm. profound. Sometimes the children will have mental illness. Sometimes there's substance abuse. Sometimes there's not an ability to work. There's inability to work. So it depends. Each family gets an individualized plan. Each member of the family Great. gets an individualized plan. Mm-hmm. And I would say our children's services, this amazing woman, she needs to like get the key to the city someday. Tammy Ortiz, Ms. Tammy, runs it with such love. Yeah, and mm-hmm. she, this is not breaking a confidence. She speaks of this publicly, comes from a domestic violence background and really knows empathy yeah and these kids experiences and she does a great great job i've often been chastised by miss tammy for asking two directed questions i can see i can see you doing uh, please please (laughs) good for miss tammy i'm on her side she rocks oh me too me too well, um, not to call it job training or anything, but income building, yes, you do you. have employee initiatives. I mean, do you have partners where you're able to place some of these uh, women over time? We do have partners. Mm. So um, one great partner is the hotel union. Oh, that's it, great. Yeah, we identify women. They put them through, or, or clients, it could be men, through their training program and then get them placed in hotels. These are good union jobs. You can end up at like $36 an hour. This is great. Um, we've had partnerships with the food industry. Um, Andy Aaron's over at Gourmet Garage was exceedingly generous and paid for food handlers licensing classes at Win. That's like five hundred bucks if mm-hmm. you had to pay for it yourself. And then they're able to interview at Gourmet Garage. But we had a dad actually who took the training, and he was already at a supermarket. His manager said, great, now we can put you in management training. That was what was holding you back. Because our vision is to develop these kind of tracked relationships, if you will. Tracking being a bad word in school in the old days, but a good (laughs) word in this, where we're um, connecting you to jobs that have openings but have projected growth that meet your skills. Now, a lot of our moms said to us, we'd love to learn office skills because – 
construction, hotel stuff like you start the night shift mm. and childcare is an issue. So with the generosity of the Francine Lafrac Foundation and Google, we've launched and the United Na- Nations Credit Union Foundation. Who knew that was a thing? <laughs> Francine did. They're now one of our big partners. Um, uh uh, you get a sk- you're taking office training, computer skills, and then we're working to place moms or dads in those jobs. And I've been to one of the uh, the graduations. Francine Lefrac was there herself, and it was just so you know, uh, parents came, boyfriends came, you know, all kinds of people came just to the porch. It was really lovely. Yeah, that, that's really sweet. Yeah, and, and that's a great point you made because I, I don't think a lot of people understand what it does when somebody has to work the night shift. It's very hard. It and is on. Believable when you have kids. I mean, it just becomes another cost center, and you know these women are juggling enough already. Exactly. Throw that on top of it. Exactly. It is something. Let's talk a little bit more about these kids because you know we. It, it just um, it's hard for me to get my arms around that almost. It's, right. uh, you know, I had read someplace that one out of every eight children in the New York City public school system has been homeless in the last five years, which again stops right. you in your tracks. What is it like to so, live a life like this if uh, you're a homeless kid? So that's data put out by the Institute for Ch- on Children and Poverty, which is an amazing mm-hmm. research and think tank organization, which I'd urge listeners to follow uh, uh, and get their information. That also includes children who are doubled up and tripled up, not mm-hmm. just in shelter. But nonetheless, and that, that is a traumatizing you know, experience, homeless children go to two to three schools a year. Hmm. You know, we're having an issue right now with some families who are in scattered site supportive. That's permanent with services. We're moving them into a beautiful new building on East 91st Street. Thank you, Councilmember Kalos. <laughs> but school started. They're going to be moved in in 10 days. Wish it could have been before, but, you know, construction delays, et cetera. The school's like, well, they can't come until they have a con ed bill. Well, they're across the street. Literally across the street <laughs> is the school. So, you know, things like that. We've worked it through. But uh, so kids go to more than one school. Kids get bullied. Yeah, I can imagine. Horribly. Yeah. Horribly. That's why, you know, we make sure everybody has brand new backpacks full of supplies for school. One less thing to to single you out. So that's a big problem. Kids don't know who are experiencing homelessness. Should they put down roots? Should mm-hmm. they take the risk um, uh, to become friends with people? Also, children are further behind, changing schools, maybe not getting to finish homework because there's a battering situation going on, mm-hmm. you know, maybe really having to support mom with the younger children. We've seen a lot of that where the children are really the adults uh, because of all of the stressors in uh, the family. That's one reason why with Advocates for Children and others, we've prioritized funding for what we call bridging the gap social workers. They're social workers, uh, city employees, placed in the schools which have the highest percentage of homeless children. Mm-hmm. They only serve the homeless children in the school. Now, th- this year we were able to increase the number um, of bridging the gap social workers and get them baselined in the budget so they don't get cut every year, and we're hoping to grow that next year. Uh, the chair of the Education Committee, Mark Schrager, and the City Council were the leaders in this, mm-hmm. but that's going to make a big difference. That's also why you know we have homework help at every shelter. We have uh, after-school activities. Even our camp is based on a STEAM curriculum to try to always help uh, children gain knowledge and retain knowledge over the summer. 
But it is, the challenges are just profound. Yeah, but what you're doing is just the opposite of custodial care. It right. Really, no, no, no. It, is a, right. it is a full wraparound of services to, to have people better their lives. As my 93-year-old father says, it ain't three hots and a cot. <laughs> He's, he said it better than yeah. I. <laughs> um, how do you define success at Win, And even more importantly, how do you measure it? So let me start with the measure. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge. Yeah, it's, it's for challenge. everybody in the nonprofit sector, right. it's a challenge. So, you know, there's the goals we meet with the city and our contracts. And it was so nice yesterday. Uh, some of our shelters had met their goals with housing placement and whatnot. And the Department of Homeless Services, this, the staff person there, who I apologize, I don't remember her name, sent an email out to all of the WIN staff, CC'd me, congratulating them and noting their success. Good for them. That was really, really nice. So there's those goals. But for me, the real goal is after. Because mm-hmm. if, and this is one of the reasons we're still at such high numbers, because people leave and then they come back. Revolving door. Revolving door. So one of the placements, right? Because you have to, different places people can ways people can leave is family reunification. The city pushes that because it's free to the city and it can be quicker, which means you go back to your aunt, you go back to your partner, yes, we ask you if he's not a batterer, but mm. yeah. we, we don't check. I mean, how right. do you check? Yeah. So those don't work. Mm-hmm. They are the one of the, the placement has the statistically highest return to shelter rate. Now, it is hard to measure because the city sees our relationship to the data on our clients as done when the family moves out. File it away. We do a hand tabulation every year. And last year, 89% of the families who had left shelter the prior year were still living outside of shelter, which to me is a really great success. It's a wonderful number. Yeah. Now, when you ask the city what's their um, return to shelter rate, they'll tell you 3 to 4% of their um, of, uh, uh, clients uh, return to shelter. And then they'll slip in on subsidized placements, which mm. means NYCHA or with a voucher or yeah. Section 8. Mm-hmm. Ours in that category is 2%, mm-hmm. but they're not answering the question. Right, right. So we don't really know what this is. It's an apple and oranges comparison. Totally. It's quick. It's <laughs> yeah. good spin. Yeah. God bless the press department, but it's not the real number. Mm-hmm. So I would want to know, for longer than a year, are they out of shelter? I would want to know if they left with a job, have they still? do they still have that job? If they don't have that job, do they now have a higher paying job? Better job. Better yeah. job, or do they have no job? I would want to know how the children are doing in school. Quite frankly, kids who go to our summer STEAM camp, I would like to know whether they do better the next year in school. Because if not, we need to work on our curriculum. Can't do that unless you have the data. And that's an enormous problem with the city. I know it's something the Robin Hood Foundation is working aggressively on and lots of others. But, but it's, And it's a challenge for the philanthropic world because they really want data, and mm-hmm. I get it. They want return on investment. They want to know success. And it's frustrating to not be, be able to give institutions, which are very um, now very data-driven, very results-oriented, very sophisticated in metrics, et cetera. I wish a few of them were a bit more sophisticated, though, and would agree to pay for that right, evaluation yeah, right, right, and that right, data. They right. want it. But right. too many of them don't want to cough up for it. Oh, please, you know? yeah. yeah. 
Well, all of this costs a lot of money. This whole suite of holistic service ain't inexpensive. So what is your funding model? What does the city do for you, and who are some of your key partners in addition to the ones you've already made? Mentioned? So we will always, and groups like us, be a level of government funding that uh, in, you know, nonprofit business school they would teach you is unbalanced. Mm -hmm. That is true. It's about 85% of our budget is government contracts. That's because we provide a service that the city by law is required to provide. The city just recognized long ago they were not as good at it as not-for-profits, and I support that. So 85% is contracts, city, state, and federal. Vast majority city, though that's money that is a pass on much of it from the Fed. So Mm -hmm. we always have to be wary of what the president is saying um, or doing. Mm -hmm. Then the remainder comes from foundations and corporations, individual giving, events, and things of that nature. We've all, our income building program has always and tremendously been supported by Pepsi. I want to give them a huge shout out. BlackRock has uh, supported an initiative targeting income building for young adults. That's been great. The Clark Foundation is the really only foundation out there that also supports our advocacy work, which is great. Robin Hood is our biggest funder. Um, city uh, group, uh, I still want to call it Citibank, um, uh, uh, and I still think they're in Long Island City, um, you know, has been very good to us. We have a long list of folks. AT&T just mm-hmm. gave us a grant. There's a story in the Daily News where we're taking uh, juniors who were living at Wynn on college tours. And Jennifer Rabbit at Hunter just, you know, welcomed a group wonderfully. So uh, just those are some. Yeah, well, you got some blue-chip names, that's Thank for you. sure. Last, we have a big gala every year. One of our honorees, Rick Clark of Brookfield mm-hmm. Group, last year did, uh, he and his team did an amazing job. So, mm-hmm. You know, you have been known as someone who's very goal-oriented and likes to get things done. What have you found to be the difference, Christine, about getting stuff done in the nonprofit sector as compared to the government sector? Well, a couple of things. One, you know, when you're in government, this is a slight bit of an exaggeration, but not really. You have the ability, you know, if you're speaker uh, or somebody of a position like that, you can pick up the phone and say, do this. Yes. And often people a little louder voice than that. You know, I was born with a loud voice and, and some find it annoying, such as life. Uh, but it gets it can get much louder. Um, and I don't I don't. It's three phone calls. It's two weeks of work. It's three mm-hmm. weeks of strategy, whatever. But so that's that's frustrating that you don't have that immediate uh, uh, ability is it is frustrating. Now, the other thing I noticed when I got to win Within a lot of the staff now, there was, so it's changed, the sense of we don't have to take that. Mm-hmm. They need us more than we need them. Say no didn't exist. People, and I understand it, but people felt like we had to do whatever the city wanted, the mm-hmm. way the city wanted it for the amount of money they wanted it. And this idea of being uh, a provider to the city, but also advocating to change things in the city was hard for people to wrap their mind around it. But the team has done an amazing job, and I, you really uh, see the frontline staff thinking about what should be on the advocacy agenda and engaged. So that's something where uh, myself and, and others, including our chief strategy officer, Megan Linehan, who came from government with me, I think have been able to bring a particular refresher 
perspective about that I'm psyched that we were able to do. That's really important because, yeah. you know, too many nonprofits have a bigger mentality. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't work. What you have to do is say, hey, we have value in this equation as exactly. well. And when you can deal with that, those folks in an equal way, it works better actually for everybody and you have much more honest discussions than you otherwise might. Totally. And I know that's harder for smaller groups, so I'm not unmindful about that. But we have some great umbrella groups like Homeless Services United and others who can help do that. And I know we at Win are always prepared to stand with our sister organizations that might have a little less funding to back them up. Mm-hmm. You miss life in uh, city politics at all? or Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, you know, being. <laughs> well, I don't know a lot of people, I think, but. <laughs> you know, I loved being in government. I uh-huh. loved everything about it. I loved the team. I loved the ability to get things done. I mean, I get to go all over the city still with all our, 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 um, our different facilities, but I, you know, miss the more regular experience of yeah. getting to meet New Yorkers all over the city. I, you know, I once had. Uh, Lunch with the great late Judith Kay, the mm-hmm. first woman to chair the state's highest uh, court. And uh, she actually married me and Kim. But she said to me once, if she could have been chief judge for five more minutes, she would have taken it. Uh-huh. And that's how I felt about being speaker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a really great story there. Let me close with this, Christine. You know, although Wynn is dealing with a systemic problem, you're really doing so one woman and family at a time. That's what the staff says all the time. That's uh, that's the way you've described it. Share with us the impact your organization has had on one of those families. So I'll tell you about the first family I ever met. This mom, and she was a domestic violence survivor. She went to her cousin's house. He found her there. Mm-hmm. He beat her basically bloody in the yard. Um, she knew she couldn't put her cousin in that situation. Again, not thinking of herself. She ends up at Wynn in one of our East Harlem shelters. And I meet her, I don't know, maybe she's been there a couple weeks or something. Beautiful little girl, super smart. She's about one and a half of the time, but knew where all the fruit in the puzzle and knew which pieces they went into, which is a pretty big deal. At that age, uh, one and a quarter, one and a half, um, she, I'll never forget, she said, when I met her, do you know what McGraw-Hill is? And I said, yes. She said, well, Wynn sent me to a women's event there. And they gave me this. And she went into her underwear drawer, which is where all, all uh, uh, women keep the most important things. The valuables. Yeah. And pulls out a notebook. I'm sure the radio station has them. We all have them that the said McGraw-Hill on them. Mm-hmm. And she thrust it at me and said, they gave me this. Mm-hmm. And she kept saying it over and over again. She'll never write in that notebook. It's not a notebook. It's in a statement that a big company, a thing in the world believed in her i mean yeah that says a lot it says a lot now she works for the parks department last i heard she'd gotten a license to drive the big truck which is a big deal i don't know the name of the big truck big deal and uh she's contemplating i need to find out whether where that went of going to a a horticultural college you know that's such a great story yeah you know it reminds me too and i want to thank the borough president gail benjamin who helped us get her a job at parks it reminds me of a story. Um, we had the CEO of Genesis on. Oh, the, sure. The job training program. Yeah, yeah. You know what they do at their graduation uh, ceremony? They give each of the young people a business card. Oh, that's uh, fabulous. <laughs> and you, it's like. Well, and I they have, steal that idea. Yeah, I'm somebody. You know, right. Look at my name. Exactly. You know, with under whatever the company may be that they're going to go and intern with or whatever. Isn't that great? That's great. Yeah. 
Well, you were too, Christine oh, Quinn, uh, President and CEO of WIN. I want to thank you so much for being here this evening. Where can people learn more about the organization Please. or make a contribution if they're so inclined to do so? Absolutely, absolutely. You need to go to our website, which is WINNYC2N, so W-I-N-N-Y-C, altogether.org. And we have, uh, we'll start doing holiday gifts for the families, and we do it really great that we get the specifics for the what mom and the other parent, if there's one, and the kids want. People then take uh, those letters, so to speak, you can do it on the computer, and buy exactly what they want. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, of the reasonable couple. Then the uh, people will either, our volunteers will do it, or the people who've sponsored will do it. They wrap the gifts, put on the bottom the mom's name and the unit number. So the parent or mom have it in the morning, oh, wow. and nobody knows it was donated. It's as if mom went out and got it. Very, very So people sweet. can sign up to be, you know, holiday letters. Uh, I don't know what we call them. Um, uh, we, we used to call them Secret Santa, but we don't call them that anymore. Anyway, holiday whatever. givers or whatever <laughs> on our website. So you can also sign up to give an amount monthly, sponsor different events. It, it, it makes a difference because without private fund, uh, private financial support we can't do income building yeah we can't do trauma-informed care so we really need people's uh, gifts and you know I understand trust me I'm losing sleep over brexit I'm not kidding it's mm-hmm. such a horrible thing and Boris Johnson I thought that was like I kept saying out loud I didn't see that I didn't see that that's not true um, but this is a, a really good investment mm-hmm. your money will be well spent I think the 89 percent speaks to that but it's also a a good news gift. Yeah, yeah. It helps. No, very positive. Yeah. And unlike government money for you, you have some discretion with it to do what you need as opposed to having to do what the contract Foundation says. people, <laughs> bring back some general operating. Right. You're killing us. So, yes. Thanks, Christine. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I'll be back with more of the Business of Giving right after this. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.